0: KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego Art Power is presenting Indian fusion band Red Bharat, mixing Indian bhangra rhythms, hip-hop, and funk music, March 23rd at the Epstein Family Amphitheater. Tickets and information about upcoming concerts and events at artpower.ucsd.edu.
1: Good morning. I'm Annika Colbert. It's Friday, October 12th. What's behind the shortage of San Diego firefighters? More on that next, but first, let's do the headlines. On Monday, Poway Unified School board members voted unanimously to hold their next meeting online because of security concerns. Superintendent Dr. Marianne Phelps said board members and their families are receiving death threats. She also described how protesters have terrorized school officials on district property and at their homes. Student school board member Winnie Shu was at a meeting in October that was stormed by protesters and ended in arrest. She's also received threats.
2: Threats through my uh, board email um, regarding mass mandates, vaccine mandates, regarding just the way that the district has been dealing with the coronavirus during this school year. Um, so it has definitely been harrowing as a senior in high school experiencing these things.
1: Shu says school officials are merely following the state's public safety guidelines. As of Tuesday, more than 7,000 children ages 5 to 11 have gotten their first dose of COVID-19 vaccine. That's according to the county's latest data. They'll now be included in the county's overall vaccination count going forward. 81% of San Diego residents 5 and older have received at least one dose of COVID-19 vaccine. San Diego and Tijuana have won the designation of World Design Capital 2024. It's the first time the World Design Organization has awarded the designation to a binational region. The designation is meant to highlight the cross-border region's approach to design as a vehicle for solving societal problems. From KPBS, you're listening to San Diego News Now. Stay with me for more of the local news you need. The San Diego Fire Rescue Department has been struggling with staffing shortages, but it's not only because of COVID-19 or vaccine mandates. KPBS's Kitty Alvarado tells us the issue is more complicated than that, and it's a problem almost every department is facing across California.
3: It's a beautiful day in San Diego, and the fire crew at Station One is starting their day. While everything looks normal,
4: We've got an exhausted workforce.
3: Back at San Diego Fire and Rescue headquarters, Chief Colin Stowell says it's been a struggle to keep the department's 50 stations fully staffed.
4: Yes, we're seeing less and less people sign up and voluntarily want to take overtime shifts, and so sometimes those sit empty.
3: He says the staffing shortage has already resulted in a brownout of a station this year. On that day, 95 people called out. That's one-third of the day's workforce. That's
4: uh, the absolute last resort for us is to have to shut down a first responder unit, and it really came down to we just did not have enough bodies.
3: Stowell says COVID isn't the only reason this is happening.
4: We're also seeing a combination of retirements and some folks leaving the department for either other departments or a change of career.
3: But COVID sure hasn't helped, and the city's vaccine mandate deadline is looming. About 12% of his department is unvaccinated
4: definitely a concern of mine and it could be very impactful
3: but he's also seeing a sharp decrease in applicants they used to get about 4000 a year now they get about 1300
5: it's not a shortage of candidates as a cpf we maintain an eligibility hiring list that has over 3000 candidates
3: Brian Rice is the president of the California Professional Firefighters, or the state's Firefighters Union. He says this crisis has been years in the making.
5: Is COVID to blame? No. Is the wildfire season to blame? No. Do they play a role in it? Yes. But to me, the blame falls squarely on cities, counties, and municipalities as employers for failing to hire the adequate number of firefighters.
3: He says it started during the recession when overtime became the norm instead of hiring. This
5: is a choice that municipalities have made and they're betting that the disaster is not gonna come to their community. And so far, I think it's proven wrong.
3: Rice says departments have to stop relying on overtime because it takes its toll.
5: The health of firefighters, men and women, a good part of that depends on them being able to go home and decompress and rebuild their strength.
3: Rice also says the state's fire department, Cal Fire, must do better so they don't burn out their staff or have to rely so heavily on city departments during disasters. They use
5: seasonal employees, part-time employees. For years, they have relied on the prison system to try to augment that staffing and I think it's shameful and the state of California should be blamed in no uncertain terms for trying to get away on the cheap.
3: Brian Marshall is the state's Office of Emergency Services fire chief. There they coordinate resources from all over the state during major wildfires and disasters. He says he's seen a difference in the requests they've made for fire resources in the last few years.
6: We're seeing approximately 50% of what we've seen in prior years.
3: Forcing those on the front lines of megafires to work longer shifts.
6: These firefighters are literally gone all summer long.
3: And with COVID and year-long fire season pushing departments to the breaking point, the question is, will we have enough manpower if the big one hits during a megafire or another disaster?
6: It is a fear I think by all emergency managers that there will be simultaneous disasters across the state. And are we going to have enough resources when somebody calls 911 for help?
3: Stowell says there's no doubt there's a staffing crisis plaguing departments across the state, including his. But he's optimistic with their proactive recruitment they will meet their staffing goals by 2023. And despite the challenges, Stowell hopes more young people consider a career in the fire service because there's a lot of opportunity and the work is fulfilling.
4: You leave the next day when you're heading home and you know you made a difference in somebody's life and you don't get that kind of satisfaction from a lot of careers.
1: And that was reporting from KPBS's Kitty Alvarado. Yesterday was a Veterans Day for the books, for a father and son who were reunited in San Isidro after being separated for nearly two decades. KPBS's Alexandra Ronhell has more from a deported veterans advocate who was finally able to return to the U.S. after winning a legal battle in the Supreme Court of California.
3: Thank
4: you, Lord Jesus.
0: Hey God. Welcome back to the United States. Welcome back.
2: A LONG EMBRACE WITH HIS SON STANDING ON AMERICAN SOIL. IT'S THE ONE GIFT ROBERT VIVAR WANTED TO GIVE HIS VETERAN SON ON VETERANS DAY.
5: INCREDIBLE JOURNEY, A LOT OF, uh, a lot of STRUGGLE, BUT uh, A LOT OF GUIDANCE FROM GOD.
2: AFTER WINNING A LEGAL BATTLE THAT LASTED NEARLY TWO DECADES, VIVAR WAS ABLE TO RESTORE HIS LAWFUL STATUS IN CALIFORNIA AND COME BACK HOME. HIS SON BOBBY VIVAR SAYS THERE WERE TIMES HE DOUBTED THIS DAY WOULD COME, but his dad never lost faith.
0: I feel I got a ton of emotion right now. You know, I'm
6: super excited. I can't wait to see him. You know, I can't wait for my for his granddaughters to be with him and you know hug him and you know because
0: you know he missed a lot.
2: From birthdays to holidays, Vivar missed years with his family after pleading guilty to a shoplifting charge in 2002. Little did he know that plea would get him deported to Mexico, but a new state law allowed him to come back.
0: The California Supreme Court finally issued a decision that set precedent and allowed him to vacate the conviction that was the reason why he was deported.
2: Vivar's lawyer, Dane Schickman, says there are so many deportees with similar stories.
0: So many people have been unjustly exiled from their families, people who are as American as anyone standing here.
2: Robert Vivar is not a veteran, but was raised in a military family. While living in Tijuana, he became a voice for deported vets.
5: We we care for our families. That's why uh, I got so involved with deported veterans, because even though, you know, uh, they were not my blood but they're of our family as well.
2: Vivar serves as co-director for United U.S. Deported Veterans and says he will not stop fighting to help vets who were deported.
5: You know, just like uh, our logo on our, on our shirt, leave no one behind, which is the Marine logo.
1: Uh, we're, uh, we don't leave no one behind. We're gonna go back home. And that was reporting from KPBS's Alexandra Rangel. California is on the verge of having a license plate dedicated specifically to women veterans. KPBS's military reporter Steve Walsh says it would be more than just symbolic.
0: The Foundation for Women Warriors hopes to pass another milestone. At the moment, California does not have a license plate honoring female veterans, says CEO Jody Grenier.
2: There's been numerous incidents where a woman parks in a veteran spot and is often confronted saying that that spot's for a veteran. When in fact, she is the veteran. Uh, And so this is just another way for society to get on board and realize that women are serving in increasing numbers.
0: It can be isolating, contributing to issues like veteran suicide. It can make it harder for women to demand changes in veterans' health care. At least 50 people need to sign up for the plate before it can be offered by the state. The Foundation for Women Warriors is asking people to sign up at their website.
1: And that was KPBS military reporter Steve Walsh. Coming up, keeping arts education going for schoolchildren during the pandemic was no easy task for one nonprofit.
7: We lost about 50 percent of our income uh, pretty quickly.
1: We'll have more on that next, just after the break.
0: KPBS On Demand is supported by UC San Diego, offering the online Master of Data Science program, shaping the next generation of data-driven problem solvers. Learn more about the online Master of Data Science program from UC San Diego at omds.ucsd.edu.
1: The pandemic has brought change to so many lives. Sometimes the change has led to rebirth. KPBS's John Carroll tells us about one local nonprofit that figured out how to survive during the pandemic to continue bringing the arts to school
7: children across San Diego County. When you don't know what tomorrow's going to bring, you need something to bring you back and ground you. And that's what we get from the arts.
6: That was Adrian Valencia last year in a story we did in the early days of the pandemic. Then and now, Valencia led an organization dedicated to bringing the arts to school children. What she didn't know at the time was the extraordinary challenge COVID would present. Like so many others, the group went virtual.
7: And our teaching artists were absolutely brilliant and made those changes very quickly.
6: But more changes would have to be made. COVID meant a significant loss of funding.
7: Schools were finding that they had to put their funding in different places. And so we lost about 50% of our income uh, pretty
6: quickly. Valencia and her staff knew that for the organization to survive, some difficult decisions were ahead.
7: We let go of our office space and we've been working remotely since the end of October, 2020. Um, We took a few elements of our business practice and put them in-house, such as our grant writing and our accounting.
6: But all that wasn't enough. One more big change, a painful one, was still to come. The group had been affiliated with Young Audiences of America since the late 60s. The national group has branches all over the country dedicated to bringing the arts to school children. Valencia and her board decided retaining membership with young audiences just wasn't worth it.
7: We just found that it made more sense for us to separate from them.
6: Separating from young audiences meant change from top to bottom. The group rebranded itself. They're now known as Arts Education Connection San Diego. A new name, a new logo, but the mission has not changed. A dedicated group of teaching artists still share the arts with children through five disciplines—music, theater, dance, visual, and literary arts— sharing teaching the arts to children during the darkest days of the pandemic revealed a silver lining the separation from our friends and family was eased a bit by the kind of togetherness that only the arts can bring
7: and that really relates to our new name because the arts really do connect us to one another connects us to history connects us to science connects us in so many different ways
6: as COVID recedes and arts education returns to libraries and classrooms, Adrian Valencia says she's more confident than ever about the future.
7: You know, the whole rebranding thing was a very intense process. It has actually re-energized us and re-energized our name in the community,
6: We interviewed Valencia in the Malcolm X Library, one of many locations where Arts Education Connection San Diego has conducted their programs. The process of returning to places like this is now underway.
7: Many schools are very excited about having in-person programming again, and so that is getting off the ground. Um, Some venues are still requesting virtual programs, and so we will continue to do that.
6: Continuing to do that takes financial support. If you'd like to help out, or if you're just curious about Arts Education Connection San Diego, you can check out their newly redesigned website, artsedsd.org. The first thing you'll see is their mission statement. Arts are essential, learning is critical, and art in learning is transformative.
1: And that was KPBS's John Carroll. Media Arts San Diego is hosting the first ever age-friendly film festival tomorrow. And if you're curious about what that is exactly, KPBS's arts reporter Beth Accomando has more.
8: Media Arts Center San Diego sponsored a four-month Emerging Filmmaker Fellowship to encourage young filmmakers to produce short films, highlighting local efforts to build age-friendly communities where people of all ages, especially the elderly, can be healthy and thrive. Now it's hosting the first-ever age-friendly film festival. The San Diego Foundation is one of the event partners. Its director of community impact, Katie Rass, says these stories are important because by 2030, there will be more than one million people living in San Diego over the age of 65.
0: One of the interesting elements about this film festival is that it really is intergenerational. And certainly in the work that we do within the community with our partners, we recognize that an intergenerational approach is extremely important. The films highlight programs for
8: seniors and reveal challenges such as social isolation that seniors can face. The festival hopes to raise awareness of age-friendly programs and the importance of age-friendly communities. Filmmakers were encouraged to focus on low-income and underserved older adults and to use storytelling to bring issues to life. The short documentaries will be screened on November 13th at Reading Cinema Town Square. It's free to the public.
1: And that was KPBS arts reporter Beth Accomando. And that's it for the podcast today. Be sure to catch KPBS Midday Edition at noon on KPBS radio or check out the Midday Edition podcast. You can also watch KPBS Evening Edition at five o'clock on KPBS television. And as always, you can find more San Diego news online at kpbs.org. I'm Annika Colbert. Thanks for listening, and have a wonderful weekend.